0: For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord Jesus, now as we come to your words, we thank you that the Spirit has been given so that we might understand them, that we might, Lord, be taught by God himself today, and that, Lord, hearing with our ear, we might hear with our heart as well, and that your word would have the impact that you intend, and we pray it for your glory. Amen. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> this cold has become very attached to me. <clears throat> it is not mutual, but we will make it through. Blessed are the persecuted. That is not an American sentiment. Um, we believe blessed are the comfortable. Uh, blessed are the secure and the safe and those with large IRA accounts. And um, Blessed are those who are getting the most out of this life and who suffer little. Uh, but that's not what Jesus has to teach us this morning. Blessed are the persecuted. Uh, whenever we come to a text like this, I, I wish we could um, have someone come who's actually experienced uh, the reality of, of physical persecution. Uh, just a few weeks ago, eleven Nigerian Christians were executed by Boko Haram. Uh, it would be it would be something, wouldn't it, for their wives and their children were here this morning, um, to tell us about God's mercy to them uh, through that experience. Open Doors Ministry estimates that every day eight Christians are killed because of their faith. Every week hundred and eighty two churches or Christian buildings are attacked. every month 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. Uh, those are the realities but those are numbers. Uh, it would be good for us to see the names see, see the faces and learn the names and, and hear the testimonies because I think it would help us to believe uh, what seems on the face of it to be very difficult to believe a blessed are the persecuted when you see uh, the face of a child of God just lit up with joy uh, though there are scars on his back or, or though there is a, 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 I saw a picture uh, this week of a, um, a mom with uh, four, five children uh, smiles on their faces uh, daddy's in heaven because he was executed for the faith. Jesus wants us to face these things this morning. There's something unique about this beatitude, it's uh, it's unlike the others in the sense that the others are really are def- def- uh, defining of a person's character, what's, what the Spirit of God does in the life of someone. Uh, the Spirit of God, when it comes, will teach you to be poor in spirit as you acknowledge your bankruptcy before God and, 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 and lead you to grieve your sin and lead you to be humble, submissive before the word, the meek, um, hunger and thirsting for righteousness. You, you won't be able to help to hunger for righteousness if, if the Spirit of God is in you. And there will be mercy... You'll delight in mercy, the mercy God has for you, and you will delight to share it with others. And the pure in heart, uh, a a devotion for God and and committed to making peace uh, because of the peace you have with God. Um, But this isn't a personality trait. This is something that happens to you. So why does Jesus include it? And I think the answer is Jesus includes this last um, attribute, this last defining characteristic of a a, a child of the kingdom, because those who um, are experiencing the first seven kingdom traits will experience the eighth. Those who uh, actually do mourn their sin and hunger for righteousness and and show mercy, those who uh, belong to Jesus Christ and and delight in His kingdom, they they will find that they don't fit in the world. They don't belong in some sense to the world, and they'll experience the scorn of the world. Uh, The lesson that Christ has for us this morning is that um, persecution, for Christ's sake, is a feature of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Just like spiritual poverty and and heart purity and intentional peacemaking, it's a mark of the child of God. We saw that in the book of Revelation um, over and over. And that's a challenge to us. Let's just recognize that of people who like comfort. And we like security. We like safety. We like peace. We, we like to be liked. We like it a lot. And, um, and, and this way of life is a challenge for our flesh. But Jesus wants us to know that persecution for his namesake is actually um, inherent to discipleship. It's, it's, it's an essential part of following Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as you know, put to death in World War II for his faith, writes this, written from prison. He says, that, I believe it was. He says, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. In other words, we give over our lives to death. The cross, Jesus says, if you want to come after me, take up your cross. Bonhoeffer says, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I think that's exactly right. Persecution is not a, a bug in the operating system of normal Christianity. We realize it is a design feature. And this is a text then for God's people here today, right here in West Michigan. It's a text that calls us, to surrender our hope for or our um, addiction to a life of comfort and security and peace, but, but it calls us to gladly enter into the reality of following Jesus, and Jesus promises great blessings for us as we do. The first thing we're going to notice is that persecution is promised. Persecution is promised. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. One of the commonly forgotten facts of uh, discipleship and of Scripture is that persecution is not an unfortunate uh, byproduct, just something that you might have to unfortunately go through on your way to heaven, but that uh, this is something that God promises His people, that um, you will suffer uh, you will be you will be scorned you will you you will experience persecution in some ways and it's it's out there sort of continually jesus john 16:33 in this world you will have trouble paul says in 2 Timothy 3:12 everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and Jesus gives some specific examples of what he's talking about. It's not just uh, talking about being put to death. That that happen, can happen. doesn't uh, always happen, obviously. But, but there are other things that do happen. Yeah, the, blessed are you when people revile you. A synonyms of being reviled are synonyms of that word. Uh, when they insult you, abuse you, scorn you, despise, berate, and disparage. If you're paying attention uh, to the conversation happening in our culture today, uh, the new atheists, but 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 in sort of in general, Christians are despised, uh, disparaged, scorned. Uh, you're thinking benighted, foolish at best, uh, evil at worst. That you belong to a cult that is bad for the world. That's you, follower of Jesus. Blessed are you when people persecute you. That uh, word just uh, speaks of. A Systematic organized program to oppress and harass people. When uh, we're told that the, the, the scribes and Pharisees persecuted Jesus, that there was a, it was a, uh, they got together and they made a plan. How are we going to suppress and harass and get rid of this man? Uh, the world leaders get together and they form plans. How do we silence the church? How do we, how do we um, oppress and harass? Those who named the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. When they slander you. When they say vicious lies that cost you your job. Maybe cost you your home. Maybe cost you your life. These are the things that God's people routinely experience all over the world today. The question is why? Why are God's people persecuted? Why would people want to harm uh, people who are full of mercy and intentional about peacemaking? People who hunger for God. Uh, Christianity really actually does have a remarkable impact for good in the world. Sociologists have, uh, have spoken of this. Uh, uh, Robert Woodbury, professor at Baylor, publishes thesis as a sociologist and teacher of religion on uh, the benefit of Christianity to the world. He says, the work of conversionist Protestant missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. When he speaks of conversionist Protestant missionaries, he says there's different kinds of missionaries. There are uh, are Catholic missionaries, obviously. Uh, There are also Protestant missionaries whose main objective is a a social agenda. And he says, um, those missionaries accomplish almost nothing for social good. If you make social agenda your goal, uh, economic policies, uh, fighting for justice, whatever it might be, if that's your goal as a missionary, you see that's your calling, you're going to have almost no impact whatsoever. Why? Because change and transformation doesn't happen by better policies, change and transformation happens by new creations. And so, conversionist Protestant missionaries. Um, are in a category all to themselves when it comes to positive social change. So Woodbury says this, Areas where conversionist Protestant missionaries had a significant presence are on average more economically developed today with better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. This is just fact. You can do the research. A sane world would welcome followers of Christ who are devoted to Him, but it doesn't. Uh, There's a story in in Matthew's Gospel a little further along, chapter 10, you can maybe read it uh, this afternoon, Matthew 10, where Jesus sends out uh, His disciples to heal the sick and to uh, raise the dead and cast out demons and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. They're, they're doing really good work, beneficial work. And you would think that such a mission would be met with great joy, that there would be ticker tape parades, uh, glowing interviews on the Galilean television network, that the word would get out, that this is a magnificent thing that's happening. Sick people are being uh, healed of diseases that are uh, incurable. Dead are being raised. Demons cast out. We'd like to, to uh, talk to uh, right, whoever this <laughs> Isaac over here. And, and uh, two weeks ago, he was completely um, controlled by a demon. And now, and now here's Isaac, and he'd like to tell you a story. That, that's what you would expect to happen. Jesus says, all men will hate you. All men will hate you. Why? Why? Because of me. That's what he says. Because of me. That's a staggering statement. People will hate Christians because of Jesus. I mean, there are are reasons. We can look at our own life and say, Yeah, I I don't blame you. Sometimes I'm just a hypocrite. I'm lazy. Um, I I don't live up to what I say I believe. There are are reasons why you might look at my life and, and just shake your head in dismay or disgust. I understand that. Well, I don't understand this. Why would you hate Jesus? Um, of all the men who've walked on the face of the earth, <clears throat> there's no one remotely less worthy of hatred than Jesus. And yet the simple truth is no one has ever been more hated. Herr Hitler is not more hated than Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus tells us why in John chapter 3, right after God so loved the world, Jesus says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love the darkness. And they hate the light because their deeds are evil. And they hate being exposed by the light. You see, the reason people hate Jesus is not because he is evil, but because they are. And darkness hates light. And so we should not be surprised then that those who hate light, Jesus, also hate those who've come into the light, those who belong to Jesus. John says in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus understands that the world will hate his children. And and he tells us right up front, it's going to happen. You see, God's people are persecuted because we don't belong to this world. We belong to him. We don't fit in the world. We don't laugh at the dirty jokes. We don't participate in, also in the office gossip, right? We, as we follow Jesus Christ, we're hungry for other things. As we follow Jesus Christ, um, there's light that emanates from our life, and it's upsetting to the natural man. If you intentionally follow Christ, you will irritate people. Sinclair Ferguson says uh, you would not think that simple honesty would be a dangerous lifestyle until you put it into practice on the shop floor. And you and you uh, actually work the hours that you're supposed to work and you don't uh, you don't cut corners like everyone else. You're going to you're going to be reviled. Some of you could tell stories. Peter Crape says when true good meets true evil the result is a cross. So God's people are persecuted, will be persecuted because they belong to Jesus and because they look more and more like Jesus and they love what Jesus loves and they hate what Jesus hates. And that puts them in the crosshairs of the devil. But Jesus, acknowledging the reality, notice he never apologizes for it. I love this about Jesus. He doesn't say, in this world you're going to have trouble. I'm sorry. The world's going to hate you. I'm so sorry about that. You're going to be persecuted, my deepest apologies. He never does. Why not? Because Jesus believes there is a great blessedness that belongs to suffering with him and for him. In fact, Jesus says rejoice and be glad. And he gives two reasons why we should rejoice and be glad. Let's take the second verse. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. As I've said before, that, that on the face of it does not seem encouraging. Um, they persecuted them, and they're persecuting you. If you read about some of the persecutions, um, they were sawed in two, they hid in caves, uh, they were dropped down wells. Um, it, was, it, was, it was, they stoned them to death. That's what happened to the prophets of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. They did all that to those guys, and, and they're doing it to you okay how is that how is that supposed to help? well it helps you because for two reasons it authenticates your faith what Jesus is saying here is that is that if you're being persecuted for righteousness sake like the prophets were being persecuted for righteousness sake, you are in good company you're in great company um, you you belong on the right side of eternal history when wicked men despise you for christ's sake. Heaven applauds. Who do you want applauding as as you live your life? Do you want the world's applause? You can have it. You can call yourself a Christian and just kind of downplay all the discipleship things, downplay the hard doctrines. The world world will applaud. They'll write glowing articles, right, if you have any significance. Other people will, will pat you on the back for how tolerant you are. You can have it. If you want the world's applause, it's right there for you. Or would you like the applause of Moses and Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel? Would you like the applause of heaven? That's what Jesus is calling us to. You see, what happens in as we suffer for Christ's name's sake is we enter into a fellowship of suffering. I just found as I was going through this, this again this week... Um, that this beatitude, it just teaches us a new way of thinking about what it means to be a Christian. Particularly here in West Michigan, we can so easily think that being a Christian means going to a church in a nice heated building in the wintertime, and it's air conditioned in the summertime, and you believe certain doctrines, and then you go home and you have a nice, uh, a nice dinner, and you take a nap, and, and, and you come back, if, uh, and, and then you live your life, right? Trying to do your best. Now those things are all, it's all great, it's all good, it's, means of grace are essential. But, but we can easily assume that being a Christian means going to a nice church and going to your home, to your nice home, and then going to a nice job, or at least it's bearable, and, and you just live a nice West Michigan life and it's good, and it's happy. Now again, all those things are blessings, and, and we should never apologize for the blessings God gives. They're from his hand. Thank him for them. But, but Jesus is, is, is calling us here to remember that discipleship means following Jesus, and we follow a crucified Jesus. And that what we call the West Michigan Christian life can easily be just another way of doing the American dream and living for yourself and pursuing your safety and your comfort and living a life that's that's really not much different than your neighbor's life who knows nothing about Christ. And, and, and we can easily assume that, that following Jesus means that, that we will not be touched by suffering. We heard a testimony this morning about that. But see, Jesus is saying, no, there's... Discipleship following me in a world that is that is dark will involve necessarily resistance and scorn. And when it happens, rejoice. Don't be stunned, don't be surprised, don't be shocked. Be glad. Johnson, in his commentary, says the persecuted Christian is by his suffering initiated into a brotherhood of suffering. This brotherhood includes the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostles, and all true believers throughout the centuries. This is the source of our identity, pride, and joy. We stand with them. We are numbered among the true servants of Christ. What does our Christianity cost us? In our time, in our money, our comfort. Our security? What does it cost us to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because as you embrace the cost, you experience the fellowship of the suffering. And Jesus promises that not only will we experience a great fellowship of suffering, but a great reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven, it's not a little reward. It's, it's mega. It's fantastic. It's so precious that Paul says nothing is worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And this is written by a man who was, who was stoned and flogged. He was beaten, slandered, finally martyred. And he says it doesn't even come close to comparing to the glory that will be revealed. What's the reward? The reward, friends, is the glory and honor that God gives to His saints as they gather in His presence in a new heaven and a new earth. The the reward is to belong to God and to see God, to be united with Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, and to enjoy God forever. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus continually calls us to get our eyes up from the magazine ads and the television and, and 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 your work schedule and and your family your career your health whatever just get your eyes up there's heaven or hell there's eternity and there are rewards there that that all the riches of this world can't compare to and, and so lift your eyes up and get your hearts up where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and, and then follow him and embrace whatever death that involves as you follow Jesus. I was reading this week in the Voice of Martyrs magazine um, about a man named Sheik Samer. He lives in, uh, in Ethiopia. He'd been a Muslim leader, hence Sheik. And he was an ardent persecutor of Christians. He dragged them off to prison like Paul. He burned down their homes. He beat them. Uh, he was converted, or at least the conversion began, when he was beating a Christian woman. He, has, he had just uh, burned down her home. He dragged her out in the yard. And he was beating her, breaking her arm. And, and as he was beating her and her home was burning down, she looked at him and she said, God bless you, brother. And the love and the grace and the kindness that was in her face crushed him. He said, I went home and I wept for two nights. I was absolutely crushed by the wickedness of my heart in the light of her her kindness and love. And he was converted shortly thereafter as he began reading scripture. And he went to his mosque where he was a leader, and he told the other leaderships there that he had become a follower of Christ. He invited them to do the same. Uh, It was a decision to suffer and die for Christ. He writes, When I announced my new faith to them, I knew I would be persecuted. I knew. But I was ready to die for Christ. Two days later, one o'clock in the morning, a mob gathered outside his home with torches and weapons, The article writes Samir quickly led his wife and 10 children out the back door and into the jungle as more than 500 people watched his house burn, laughing as it was consumed by fire. When Samir's wife saw how cruelly the Muslims were treating them, she and the children decided that they too would follow Christ. Quote, From today on, we will die for Jesus, she told Samir. Now that's a profession of faith. That's, That's quite a profession. From today on, we will die for Jesus. Die to self. Die to seeking our life in this world. Die to living for comforts. and We can enjoy them. We can thank God for them. But we don't live for them. Die to anything that keeps us from knowing Christ and following Christ. We die. Today, we will die Jesus, From now on, we will die for Jesus. That, that's a confession I think that could transform our lives. How often isn't it true that we find ourselves in conflict? Because we, we want this and we want Jesus. We want this and we sense that there's a tension here. We're not quite sure how to resolve it, but we want this and we want Jesus. Again, God gives us gifts. Thank him for them all. From the bottom of your heart. And then think, what does it mean for me and my family and my friends? What does it mean for us to die from now on for Jesus? To die. You see, friends, there is a choice to make. As we saw in the testimonies this morning, growing up in the church doesn't make you a Christian. There's a choice to make, not just to confess your sin and believe in Jesus, but there's a choice to make to die to self and to live for Jesus that we're actually going to follow him, and, and that as we begin identifying the things in our life that don't belong to Christ, don't belong to his people, then we beg God for the grace to die, to die, to die. And as we, as we look and we see a world in need, then, we, then we're willing and we, we embrace dying to convenience, dying to comfort. If we're ever going to have an impact, friends, in this community, uh, we're going to have to learn to die to preferences, die to comfort, die to convenience, as we reach and stretch to love and embrace people that maybe are not like us, in terms of our status, economic status, and and the the way we grew up and and how we think about doing life, we're going to have to die to things. But, But Jesus says, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Today we will die for Jesus. Now why would we do that? Why would we do that? Well, obviously because he died for us. He died bearing the wrath of God so that we could live experiencing the love and grace of God. That's the gospel. Jesus died so you can have all grace, all blessing, all riches. Even as you die to this world, blessed are you. Great is your reward in heaven. Friends, this beatitude calls us, as Jesus closes out the beatitudes, calls us to live um, all the way down to examine our life all the way down. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ if he gave his life for me, rescuing me from the hell that I deserve, rescuing me from the judgment of God and bringing me into the grace of God, lavished on me in Jesus? Well, then let's, from today on, die for Jesus, for his name, for his glory, for his cause. May God grant it. Amen. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus and that he calls us to follow him. Lord, I thank you for our brothers and sisters all around the world today who suffer in faith for the name of Jesus Christ, for those who are imprisoned, for those, Lord, who have lost loved ones. We pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Somalia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Ethiopia, Eritrea. We thank Lord of uh, those in, uh, who were executed in Nigeria. we pray for our brothers and sisters in China. we pray for Wang Yi, a pastor who's been sentenced to nine years of hard labor, which very well might end in his death because he stood for Christ. there are so many others who are ex- experiencing the pressure of the government seeking to quench the church, to snuff out the light. And Lord, I pray that we'd be awake to the fact that living for Jesus Christ calls us to die here too, that the things of God become our utmost priorities, that the name of Jesus is precious and the cause of Christ is so valuable, important to us. And that we embrace whatever cost in our time, our comfort, our convenience, our finances. To participate in the cause of Christ. And that our lives are marked then as those who belong to Jesus. Those who've died and are dying to self to live for him. Father, uh, teach us by your spirit to live in this way that we might know the great reward. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the word this morning as we confess that it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. Let's stand together and sing. following the Lord Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The the Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon you and give you his peace. Amen.